You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We have uh, been an amazing story. We are in part five of a story, uh, how God builds a man, Joseph, how God builds a man, part five. We are looking and watching God build this man in the most peculiar ways, and it is giving us so much insight into how God works in our lives. Uh, This sovereignty of God working through Joseph uh, in ways that, uh, again, are just very different than one, one might expect. Uh, Joseph has a calling on his life. God's favor is upon him. And yet his life uh, has a lot of difficulty. And in it, God is doing a great work. Joseph has endured tremendous trials. At 17 years of age, he was sold as a slave by his own brothers. His brothers were jealous of him. And so they sell him. They were going to kill him. And they said, instead, let's make some money off him. And they sell him as a slave to a slave trader who takes him to Egypt. And here at 17 years old, taken into a foreign country. Can you imagine? There in Egypt, a guy named Potiphar, a wealthy uh, millionaire, powerful uh, uh, leader in the, in the government uh, uh, takes him in as his slave. And there as a slave, instead of pouting, instead of saying, this isn't fair, why me? Joseph keeps his eyes on the Lord. And he serves. And he doesn't have a pity party. And he obeys. And God gives him favor and raises him up in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar makes him the CEO of Potiphar Industries over the entire operation of all Potiphar's belongings. And uh, these leadership qualities are attractive, and his Potiphar's wife, uh, young Mrs. Potiphar, uh, she has longing eyes for Joseph, and she tries to seduce him. And Joseph uh, spurns her and says, how can I sin against my God? And she, being shamed, says, Uh, accuses him of trying to rape her and tells Potiphar that he tried to rape her and Joseph is thrown into prison, into a dungeon. Not a prison with weights and a ping pong table, no, into a dungeon. And there in prison, Joseph, once again, does not have a pity party, does not say, God, where are you? Why did you do this to me, God? There in prison, Joseph keeps his eyes on the Lord, and he's faithful. He serves. And because he's serving and because he's faithful, God raises him up, and he becomes a leader, uh, a prisoner, overseeing the other prisoners. And as uh, providence would have it, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has two high-ranking officials that are thrown into prison. And there in prison, God gives both of these high-ranking officials a dream, both of them a dream, a different dream, on the same night. Each man its own dream. 
And uh, they come and they tell Joseph these dreams. And uh, one of them is the cupbearer. These are high-ranking officials. It's not like what like it sounds. It's not like a butler like we think. No, no, this is an advisor uh, working in the White House, if you will. And he tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph says, hey, uh, good news. In three days, you will be restored by the Pharaoh. And you will be back in your position as advisor. And uh, when you are, will you do me a favor? Please remember me. Because I'm in prison unduly, unjustly. I've done nothing wrong. And so when you're restored, would you please mention my name and ask uh, to get me out of prison? And the butler says, oh, of course, if this happens. I mean, if you're right, in three days, I'm back in there. You bet. Uh, the, the, the other advisor hears Joseph's interpretation. He says, that was a good interpretation. He says, I had a dream too. And he tells Joseph the dream. And he says, uh, unfortunately, not good news. Are you sitting down? In three days, Pharaoh is going to call you back into his court. And he's going to cut your head off. And the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh. Have a good day. Uh, and uh, you can imagine for that baker, oh, hearing that interpretation, like, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and so, sure enough, three days it happens just as Joseph prophesied. Just as Joseph interpreted these dreams. In three days, the cupbearer is restored. The baker is hung and his head is chopped off after he's hung. And, and it happens. And amazingly, this ungrateful butler forgets about Joseph. And Joseph sits rotting in a dungeon. Poor Joseph. What is God doing? Uh, why didn't he? God, can't you just remind the butler? Can't you just prompt him that, hey, remember how you got out? Remember how you got out? That was me. Can't you just remind him that I'm in here? Joseph would have had every reason to be bitter. God, why did you even give them the dreams? Those dreams were from you. And why in the world did you even give me the interpretation? If you weren't going to use it, I thought you were going to use it to get me out. And Joseph would be right for thinking all of these things. What is God doing in all of this? Well, God is building his man. God is working in his life. God is orchestrating events. Why? Because God has big plans for Joseph. God has plans to make Joseph a ruler. And you say, really? It doesn't look like it. God revealed those plans to Joseph at 17 years of age. But he's now 30. And where is he sitting? In a dungeon. And you say, God, what about your plans for my life? Well, God is building his man, and Joseph has allowed God to build him. And now here in chapter 41, as we open up God's word, we are going to see God says, now is the time. I have built character into you, and now is the time for you to walk in the ministry that I have for you, walk in the plans that I have for your life. Uh, Genesis 41, are you there? Let me get there with you. And let's pray as we open God's word. Uh, Jesus, we open your word knowing that this is divinely inspired. And without your spirit, we cannot discern it properly. So Lord, would you speak to us this morning? We are your people. 
And Lord, we want to hear from you. So Lord, please speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? 41. Then it came to pass, read this with me, at the end of two full years. This isn't two years of being in prison. A lot more years of being in prison, but two years after the butler was restored to his position. Two more, and notice it uses the word full, two full years. That Pharaoh now had a dream, and now it's going to tell us this dream of Pharaoh. Uh, The chief butler, uh, he forgot, uh, but God now works in Pharaoh's life. Look at this. Pharaoh has a dream, and here's the dream. Behold, he, that's the Pharaoh, stood by the river. What river is that? That's the great Nile River of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh stood by the river. Suddenly, verse 2, there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Think about how freaky this would be. Pharaoh's standing by the Nile River, and out of the river he sees bubble, 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 and what happens? Some cows start coming up out of the, out of the Nile, and, and they're good-looking cows, man, gorgeous coat, they're fat, they're plump, uh, and they walk out of the Nile, bubble, 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 they walk up onto the land, and they go into the green meadow, and they start feeding. Very interesting. Uh, verse 3, then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, and they were ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. So here he's got this same kind of thing. These seven beautiful cows come up. And now he's standing there. He's watching these cows graze in the meadow. And now seven more bubbles start coming up under the water. Bubble, bubble, bubble. And out of the Nile comes these gross, staunchy looking, gaunt, skinny. You can see all their bones, cows. And they are nasty looking, right? And they come up out of the river. And look at verse 4. But the ugly cows, excuse me, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. I guess so. You got cows not eating grain. What are they eating? Cows. And these seven scrawny, nasty-looking cows come up, and they eat the seven good cows, hoof and horn. Devour the whole thing, and they're gone, right? And so he awoke. Uh, how do you think he awoke? <sighs> right, like terrified, right? Uh, and he falls back asleep, verse 5, and he dreams a second time. And suddenly, seven heads of grain came up on one stalk. Plump and good. You got seven heads of grain on one stalk. Man, just a tremendous harvest. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind, just tattered and ragged, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. He awakes in a cold sweat, man, like what is going on? And look at verse 8. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. What does that mean? He is deeply distressed. He's brushing his teeth, and all he can think about is these dreams. Man, what a nightmare I just had, right? Uh, 
deeply distressed. He is troubled. And so what does he do? And so he sends and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Magicians doesn't mean magic tricks. It means sorcery. It means the occult. Uh, I watched... um, uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, and uh, David Bl- uh, Blaine came on there. Did some amazing magic tricks. It was like crazy. Not that kind of magic, right? Uh, this is the the spiritual occult, right? And he calls them up along with all the wise men, and he tells them his dreams. And look what it says: there was no one who would in- who could interpret them for Pharaoh. All these guys on Egyptian payroll. All these advisors, all these spiritual gurus, all these counselors, all these uh, people that Pharaoh has in his court that he's paying, and he comes to them with this problem, he's got a trouble in life, and all of their counsel is utterly worthless. They cannot help him at all. Pharaoh had all these mystics, all these advisors advising him, and it's all worthless. And can I tell you something? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. By the way, historically, we have learned the archaeologist Spade has uncovered that what this is, what the Bible is telling us here is very, very true. For the Egyptians, they had a pantheon of gods and spiritual occult going on in their, uh, in their nation. Uh, they had the god Osiris, who was the god of the underworld. Uh, Osiris had a wife. His wife's name was Isis. And Isis was the goddess of fertility. Time would go on and Isis would later become Ashtoreth, the same god in the Greco-Roman period. Same god, this goddess of fertility. So you've got the god of the underworld with the goddess of fertility. And so in your bedroom, you'd have a little statue of Isis. And and that would help spice things up, right? And and this was Egyptian culture. They also had Ra, the sun god. Uh, Ra was kind of known as the creator god. He wasn't as powerful as Osiris in their their, uh, mythology, but he was a a powerful god. Uh, They also had Set or Seth, depending on how you... uh, It's it's recorded both ways. Uh, Set was the god of chaos and destruction. Uh, He was the god of the grave as well. and he had a jackal head on. And, and uh, these were the gods of, of Egypt, just some of them. And uh, each of them had their priests, if you will, their occultic leaders, if you will. And these leaders were Pharaoh's advisors. Uh, and here, just let's pause for a moment. Take a look at these statues. I put them up there for a reason. Uh, what must God think? When man makes these little images and makes himself a God other than the true and living God, what must God think? What a slap in God's face. The folly of men making gods. Uh, And uh, the Bible, God reveals, we don't have to wonder, God reveals what what he thinks about this. 
uh, that you would make these little idols that represent your, your ideology of how you see things. Uh, uh, well, God tells us what he thinks. Look at Psalm 135. Let me hear you read this as a, a thundering unified voice. I love hearing the church, uh, the bride of Christ, read the word of God. Let's read together out loud. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Let's pause there. God says, hey, I want you to think about this. The idols of the nations are physical materials from the earth. So you're making a God out of something created. You already have a problem, don't you? Uh, they are the work of not God's hands. They are the work of what? Man's hands. You got another problem, don't you? Now let's, let's see what else God says about this. Verse 16. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. God says, hey, let's think about this. Not only are they made out of material that already existed, that, that seems weird, you make a God out of something that I created, and here's what you do. You make them with eyes, but they don't see, and with ears, but they don't hear. And then God gives us something very interesting. He says, and those who worship them become just like them. In other words, you have eyes, but you, what, can't see. And you have ears, but you can't hear. And you have a mouth, but you can't speak because you worship a false god. On the contrary, God is saying, hey, if you worship these things, you become deaf and dumb. You become a fool. On the contrary, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. In other words, you worship God and God will open your eyes. And you worship God and God will open your ears. And you worship God, you spend time knowing him and he will give you wisdom and discernment to be able to speak. So that when you are in a relationship... You will see things that give you tremendous insight into what is going on in that person's life. And you'll be able to see, and you'll be able to hear, you'll be able to understand, and you'll be able to speak profound words of life, of truth, that will actually build a relationship. But if you don't do that, you will be as dumb as your idols. Interesting. May we hear what the Lord is speaking to us. Now, I want you to know, uh, put the picture of the idols back up, if you will. These ancients surely did not believe that that little idol was a god. That little idol merely represented their ideologies and their beliefs. So, you had Osiris, the god of the underworld, and you had... All, and you had a little Isis there, and, and as I mentioned, you'd put that in your bedroom, and that was like something, right? Like, and these represented our ideologies uh, of, of the people. Today, we are far too advanced. We are far too smart to make little idols. We would never do that. 
But you know what we do do? We have other things that represent our ideologies. Can I show them to you? Take a look. There they are. We don't make idols anymore. We make symbols. And we put them on our car. Or we wear a little pen. And these are our ideologies. Here's what we use today. Here's our figurines to display our ideologies. Uh, and they reveal a lot about our worldview. And here's what God is saying. I don't want anything else to determine your ideology and your worldview. If you do, you will have eyes that what? Do not see. And you will have ears that do not hear. But if you worship me, I will give you wisdom and discernment and I will build you. And this is what God wants to do. Uh, uh, may we be wise. May we learn. Uh, it begs the question, does it not? Where do we turn for guidance in life? What do you run to? Is it to a web page? Is it to a news program? Is it to a horoscope? To a psychic? To a spiritualist? To a mystic? To a uh, psychologist? Where do you run for counsel? Now, there is a time for seeking uh, uh, counsel from worldly counselors. I'm not, I'm not saying that's always wrong. But the question needs to be asked, where do you turn for guidance in life? I had a psychologist come up to me after last service, was pretty upset at me. Uh, I'm not saying there's not ever a time to see a psychologist. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, what are you turning to for guidance in life? May we be wise. Uh, all these things uh, that are here on our screens, right? All our ideologies, all the worldly counselors cannot help us know the truth. And I want to speak to you, church, about something because I don't want to be confused on where we're going as a church. Right now, I'm asking you all to make a political stand on Wednesday night. But, but... Our purpose in life is not politics. And politics can easily become the golden calf in the church. The golden calf that Israel called Yahweh. They called that golden calf. They said, this is God. Why? Because we want something tangible we can hold and we can touch. And politics is that for us. We look at these bad ideologies and we have, we have our ideology and we think politics is the God to bring us that reality. It's not. And we have to turn to the true and living God. And yes, there is a time for us to stand in the world. That's what it means to be a light in the world. But we don't turn to politics for the answers in life. We turn where? We turn to God. We turn to God. Uh, do you want truth? Do you want life? Worship Jesus as your Lord. As your Lord, what does that mean? It means as the authority of your life. Jesus is the only one who can bring truth and wisdom into our life. Without Jesus, the Bible is crystal clear. We are spiritually dead. Without Jesus, we have eyes that 
cannot see. We have ears that cannot hear. If you look at Jesus' ministry, here's what his ministry was all about, revealing the truth of God's word and living it out so we could see it. And what did he do? He opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He made the lame walk. Uh, He made the dead rise. And he says, all of those things are just signs. They're just outward physical signs of what I will do in each and every man's life spiritually. Jesus said, you must be born again. You cannot add me to your life. You must be born again. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, going to church will not do it for you. Even religion can be a lame spiritual advisor. What then do you have to do? We have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I realize I am a sinner. And that sin has separated me from God. And Lord, I need you to save me. I believe you love me. I believe you, can't, you are God who became a man for the sole purpose of bringing, forgiving me of my sin and bringing me back into fellowship with you. I want to be in fellowship with you as the Lord of my life. The moment you do that, you are born again. And being born again uh, is something that not we do uh, one time in our life. This is something that we do daily. I wake up daily because I am born again. I wake up daily and I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Here's what I did yesterday. I didn't trust you here. And I acted this way here. And I did this, Lord. Lord, forgive me. Now, here I am today, Lord, and I'm your servant. How do you want to use me? Well, today is Father's Day. And I know, Lord, you've given two of my sons now are now fathers. And today I want to speak words of affirmation and truth about the kind of men, the kind of fathers that I'm watching them be. And I want to encourage them, and I want to build them, and I want to guide them. So, Lord, today on Father's Day, how do you want to use me to speak truth into my son's lives? Uh, This is what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We bring our sin before him regularly, and we bring our lives before him, and we say, Lord, I am your servant. How do you want to use me? We got a meeting on Wednesday night. What would you like me to do? We got some emails to write. What would you like me to say? And God, he he leads us. He guides us. This is what he does. Uh, Only Jesus can take us from death to life. Jesus opens our eyes and he turns us from darkness to light, from defeat to to, to victory. And, and, And here we see, oh, how it's so needed. Take a look at this, man. It's amazing. Don't miss what God has shown us in this text. Here you have the wealthiest, most powerful man in the world. He is the leader of the most powerful nation on the earth. And he is blind. He has no discernment, no insight into what's happening in his own life. And here you have a 30-year-old in prison who's been under incredible hardship since 17 years old. And he has all wisdom and discernment and God revealing everything to him about how he should walk in life. Look at the two different positions. One is blind. One has wisdom and discernment and incredible foresight. Which man would you rather be? 
By man, I mean man or woman. Which person would you rather be? This is what it means to walk with Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of your life. And this is what he does in your life. Uh, so awesome. Pharaoh is upset. All of his advisors, all of his paid staff, and none of them are, are worth their salt, man. No one can interpret his dream. And here, uh, the butler, he's an advisor to the Pharaoh, and he's in trouble, right? Uh, what's Pharaoh's attitude right now? Oh, you're all worthless. Heads are going to roll, right? Uh, the cupbearer's worried he's going to go back where? Back to prison. And look what happens. Uh, take a look, verse 9. We're going to read a large section of scripture here, so uh, hang in there. Uh, verse 9. Then the chief butler spoke to the Pharaoh, saying, I love this line. I remember my faults this day. Uh, what did he just remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, I need a dream interpreted right now, and oh, my gosh. I forgot about this poor guy. How selfish of me. Uh, I had a friend uh, text me yesterday and say, hey, my transmission broke. Do you know anybody? And you know what I do? I'm like, oh, yeah, who's a really good mechanic? Oh, yeah, I, I, I remember my faults this day. Like, I, I know someone, right? Like, uh, he, he goes, oh, I remember, I remember. And look what he says, verse 10. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. Remember that, Pharaoh, when you did that to me? Yeah, uh, well, we each had a dream one night when we were in prison, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to his own interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there in prison, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. Hey, Pharaoh, uh, remember me, the butler, and the, and the baker? We were both in prison, and we each had a dream one night, two different dreams. And this Hebrew, this Israelite, he interpreted the dreams for us, and it happened exactly as he said. Each man his own dream. Uh, look at verse 13. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged the baker. He told us that in three days, you were going to call for us both, and you were going to restore me to my position, and that you were going to hang him, and he would get his head cut off, and the birds would eat his flesh, and you know what? It happened exactly as he said, at the exact time he said, everything happened literally. And look what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says, get that man for me. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. Uh, I want you to know their prisons were not like our prisons. No ping pong. No weightlifting, no TVs. Uh, he must have been ragged and unkept, right? And he shaved, and he changed his clothing, and he came to Pharaoh. Think about this. Overnight, he goes from the prison to the White House. Overnight. From the prison to the Oval Office in the White House. Overnight, right? Uh, just amazing to consider. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. Joseph, 
I hear you are pretty amazing. I heard about the dream that you, had, that you interpreted for a couple of my aides. And I hear that you were able to see into their lives, that you can actually look through walls, if you will, that they woke up one morning and you knew they were really sad. You could see their heart, if you will. And you asked them, and they told you that you had these dreams. And you interpreted the, I hear you're incre- that you're clairvoyant, that you're a genius, that you're incredibly wise and discerning. I hear you're amazing. And look what Joseph says. Verse 16, and Joseph answered the Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Paraphrase, hey king, listen, I am just a sinful man, but there is a true and living God who knows every hair on your head. There is not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his sovereignty. And Joseph doesn't even nibble on trying to advance himself. You know what Joseph could have done? Well, I hear you're amazing. I hear you're a clairvoyant. I hear you have incredible discernment. Well, you know, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, they told me there's dreams. You know, I did have some pretty profound insights into it. But, you know, hey, it wasn't that big a deal. And Joseph resists the temptation that is before him to do what? To boast about himself. To elevate himself. And had he done it, he would have been what? Unusable to God. I want you to know the temptation will always come before you to elevate yourself. And the moment that you elevate yourself, do you know what you're saying? God, I don't need you. And if you elevate yourself, do you know what God will do? He'll let you not need him. The Bible says that if we will humble ourselves, he will exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves, he will humble us. Uh, He'll just say, okay, you're on your own. And uh, 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 Joseph doesn't even nibble on the temptation to self-promote. He says, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, he tells him uh, his dreams. Behold, in my dream... I stood on the bank of the river, on the bank of the Nile, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow, these beautiful cows, just really healthy. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. I would have loved to hear the tenor of his voice in this, right? I, I got a sick sense of humor. I can almost hear it, you know, like, Oh, they're so ugly. I, can't, I, I see a Seinfeld in this, you know. They're so ugly. I never see such ugly cows. Not in all of Egypt. There's ugly, ugly, right? Like, yeah, he's telling about the, this, these ugly cows that came up, right? I know I got a crazy, uh, imagine living with this. Um, <laughs> such ugliness I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. Verse 20. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. 
uh, crazy. They just devoured them. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as they were in the beginning. So I awoke. So here we get some more detail in the, in the dream, right? These seven skinny, gaunt, bony cows, mangy, hair falling off, uh, just grossly. They eat these other cows, and after they eat them, what do they look like? Still starving to death, like they didn't even eat anything, right? Uh, wow. Um, verse 22. I also saw in my dream... Suddenly, seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. There I was dreaming, and just like time lapse, these stalks grew up, full and good. Then behold, seven withered, thin, blighted by the east wings, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told my dreams to the magicians, to all the uh, uh, advisors that I have, these spiritualists. But there was no one who could explain it to me. They were all worthless advisors. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Isn't it amazing? What just happened to Joseph right here? He hears these dreams and what happens? God gives him divine insight that he could not have apart from God speaking to his heart. And I want you to know, God does the same thing all the time in our lives. I go and talk with my daughter who's struggling, and I'm praying, Lord, speak to me. And as she's telling me her story, God gives me divine insight into her heart into her life, into God's word, how it applies so that I can speak, so that I'm not having eyes but can't see and having ears but can't hear and having a mouth that is useless. Well, hang in there, baby. It'll get better. Is that all you got, Dad? Is that all you got? And Joseph could never do that on his own. Where does that come from? That is divine revelation that comes from the Spirit of God from God's mouth to Joseph's mind, like this. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, how he wants to speak and how God leads his people. He says, listen, Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do on the earth. Verse 25, 26. The seven good cows, circle this, are what? Seven years. And the seven good heads, circle this, are what? Seven years, the two dreams are one. Both your dreams, God is telling you the same thing. Two movies about one story. The seven fat cows, they represent seven years. The seven fruitful harvest that's coming up, that represents seven years. Verse 27, and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them, are also seven years. And the seven empty heads, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. So God has just revealed something to Joseph. What's coming? Seven years of prosperity and abundance. Following that seven years, what's coming? Seven years of severe radical famine. Wow. Verse 28, that's wisdom, that's discernment. 
That's insight. And I want you to know, when you're walking with the Lord, you know what happens? God gives you the ability to discern what's happening in the world and to know what's coming in the future so that you can walk with what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Jesus would speak of the religious leaders of his day, and he would call them, you blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, everyone will fall into a ditch. If you are a parent with no vision, guess where you're going to lead your kids? Into a ditch. We need God's revelation. If you're a business leader, right? It doesn't matter what we do. Uh, We need God's divine revelation. Um, where do we leave off? We left on uh, verse 28, right? This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Uh, the true and living God, Pharaoh, has revealed this to you. Not your pantheon of gods, not all your uh, ridiculous things. No, the true and living God has revealed to you what he's about to do on the earth. Verse 29, indeed, seven years of great plenty, underline that, will come through the, throughout all the land of Egypt. Seven years of great prosperity. Verse 30, but after that, seven years of famine, underline seven years of famine, will arise. And all the plenty, all the prosperity will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. The Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. God was speaking to the judges of Israel, to the courts of Israel, to the legal system of Israel. And God would say, don't take the testimony of one witness, because they might be lying. But in the mouth of two or three witnesses, then a matter is established before you, you give judgment, right? And here, you know what we see? God keeps his word. God speaks to the Pharaoh, and he doesn't just give one dream, he gives what? Two dreams. And he doesn't just give two dreams. He also gives Joseph so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter is established. God keeps his own word. Are you with me? Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. God gives, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Joseph gives Pharaoh, this brilliant plan full of wisdom of how to deal with this. Set up a a discerning and wise man, put him over the land of Egypt. Uh, Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Hey, Pharaoh, king, uh, you're going to have tremendous prosperity in all areas of business for the next seven years. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 20% of it, and I want you to store it up. Look at verse 35. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food where? In each city. Interesting. Uh, Each city was to be responsible for storing up the, taking 20%, 
and storing it at each city. So each city is preparing for what's coming. Incredibly wise. Uh, verse 36. <clears throat> then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for which the seven years are famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that, there, that the land may not perish during the famine. Uh, God had, a, just a, a, had prepared Joseph with tremendous wisdom for all, for all this. And Joseph gives great counsel to the king. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. This guy actually knew my dream and interpreted it and made a brilliant plan. And it was wise in all the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this? A man in whom is the spirit of who? God. Not the spirit of Osiris. Not the spirit of Ra. Not the spirit of Isis. Who is now Pharaoh looking to? God. Because God's man had revealed the true and living God to him. Uh, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown, all, uh, shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over all my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Uh, that, by the way, is a foreshadow of who? Jesus. Uh, look at this. Uh, and Joseph, uh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Quite a day for Joseph. Where did he wake up? In the dungeon. And in one day, he's exalted from the dungeon to the right hand of the throne. Wow. Again, a foreshadow of Jesus. Uh, then Pharaoh, verse 42, took his signet ring. His signet ring was a, uh, the ring that they would use to seal all the documents. It was a, 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 a mark of great power. He took the signet ring off his hand and he put it in Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Here we see that uh, now Joseph is clothed in royalty and given all power as he takes on that signet ring. A picture of Jesus uh, sitting at the right hand of God. Uh, just amazing. Um, and look at 43. And he, that's Pharaoh, had him, that's Joseph, ride in second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him. Everybody say it. Bow the knee. Let's say it loudly. Bow the, knee. Bow the knee. Bow the knee. Here comes the wise king. Wow. Amazing. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. He's over everything. This is interesting. Once he was falsely accused by Potiphar, and now he's Potiphar's boss. 44. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. There will not be one business dealing done unless you approve it. Everything is under your authority. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, a new name, gives him an Egyptian name, Zaphnath Paniah. And he gave him as a wife. 
Asneath, uh, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt as the ruler of it all. Some amazing things here to look at, to consider. Uh, Joseph is now sitting at the right hand. Think about this. Since 17 years of age, he's now 30. Since 17 years of age, Joseph has been through a ton of hardship. And as Joseph went through all this hardship, it often seemed as if God was absent, as if God was uncaring. God, where are you in all of this? God, why did you allow all of this to happen in my life? If the skeptic would have seen Joseph and his God at this time, what would the skeptic say of Joseph's God? If that's God, you can keep it. I don't want it, right? It's all a sham, man. And no doubt, those were the words that were spoken to Joseph because it did not look like God was involved in his life. God looked very absent. Why did God allow such trials in Joseph's life? From 17 to 30, uh, more than allow, why did God orchestrate such trials in Joseph's life? In other words, God gave Joseph a dream that he was going to be a ruler at 17. When his brothers sold him as a slave, why didn't God take him to Egypt and put him on the right hand of Pharaoh's throne right then and there? Why? He wasn't ready. Whoever said that, you're brilliant. He wasn't ready. Well, what would make him ready? Well, he would have to endure some hardship. You see, what would happen if Joseph got the throne at 17? Well, what happened when Joseph got the dream at 17? What did Joseph do? Joseph went and bragged in front of all of his brothers. And how did that work? Didn't work too good. And Joseph had to learn. To serve faithfully, even when things look bleak, and God was building Joseph into character, excuse me, building character into Joseph's life. Uh, God desires to have a meaningful relationship with us, which in itself is just astonishing. What amazing love God has for us that He would want a relationship with us. And our relationship with God begins at the cross of Jesus. There's no other way for it to start. But I want you to know something. Once you start at the cross, salvation is not the finish line. Salvation is the starting line. That's just undoing what Adam and Eve had lost through sin, right? Salvation is just coming back into relationship with God. Once we come into relationship with God, I want you to know something. God has a goal that he wants to accomplish in your life. Do you know this? God has a goal that he wants to accomplish in your life. What goal does God want to accomplish in your life? Let me hear from you. What goal? It's a specific goal. You need to know it. God has a specific goal in your life. Here it is. To transform you, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That is his goal for your life. And if you're not aware of that goal... You will not understand what he's doing in your life, and you won't be participating in it. 
This is his goal in your life. You say, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible clearly tells us. Uh, most of us know Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together. But let's, let's read the verse in context. Uh, take a look at this verse. We know that, read with me, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Uh, what's God's goal for our life? Well, that you would be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, that you would have the character traits and the disciplines and the wisdom and discernment of Jesus. That you would be selfless and have your eyes focused on the will of God like Jesus. That you would be conformed into the image of his son. Now, question. How does God do that? Well, we would like him to do it by lightning bolt. Come to church, give a certain amount of money, raise your hands, come forward, get hit on the forehead, fall over backwards, and bam, you're in the conform to the image of Jesus. We want lightning bolt God. Yeah, come down, power, yeah. Can I tell you something? That is a idolatry. That is spiritual adultery. That is not the true and living God. Do you know how God wants to conform you into the image of Jesus? Through relationship. Through his word. Through walking with him in daily life. You see, what was God doing when Joseph was sold as a slave at 17 years old? What was God doing? He was conforming his man into the image of Jesus Christ. What was God doing when rich Potiphar bought him and Joseph stayed faithful and God began to elevate him in Potiphar's house? What was God doing? He was conforming Joseph into the image of Jesus Christ. He's been through a hard time. I'm going to give him a little bit of a break. Let him catch his breath. I want to build some character in him. What was God doing when Mrs. Potiphar had the hots for Joseph and Joseph had the wisdom and the discernment to say, I'm not going to sin against God this way. What was God doing? He was conforming Joseph into the image of Jesus. And on and on, when Joseph was arrested and thrown back in prison, what was God doing? He was conforming. And when he was, uh, brought the two uh, political aides that came in and were these, these White House officials that were now in prison, and God gives them dreams, and God gives Joseph the interpretation, what was God doing? God was conforming him into the image of Jesus. And when he was forgotten again, uh, what was God doing? God, why did you forget me all these years? What were you doing? What was he doing? He was conforming him into the image of Jesus. You say, how so? Well, here's how so. During that time, when Joseph was forgotten in prison, Joseph's emotions would be screaming, where's your God? Joseph's emotions would be screaming. Joseph's feelings would be screaming, God's forgotten you. God's not real. Where's your God? Those are Joseph's feelings. Those are Joseph's emotions. And you know what? Emotions and feelings make great passengers, but they make horrible drivers. 
And Joseph had to learn, if he is going to be conformed into the image of God, of Jesus, if he is going to be a leader, you cannot let feelings and emotions drive you. But you must be led by the word of God. And so Joseph, God allows him to be bombarded with feelings of you're forgotten by God so that Joseph could learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And he stayed fixed and focused, even though his emotions were screaming, no way. I know God loves me. I know God is just. I know God is faithful. I know God is sovereign. And I know his will. It's not to have a pity party. It's to serve him today. Lord, here I am. I am your servant. What would you have me do? And in all that hardship, God was doing one thing and one thing only. He was conforming Joseph into what? The image of God. Into the image of Jesus Christ. And do you see it happening? Uh, it's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, we see God doing this in Joseph's life. God has built Joseph into something formidable, a man of great character, a godly leader. Now Joseph can handle uh, uh, you know, adversity and not, not waver, stay fixed and focused on what God wants him to do. Um, it's awesome to watch. And here we see Joseph looking a lot more like Jesus. And our list is growing how Joseph is a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus. Joseph is taken to the right hand of the throne. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. Joseph is given all power over all the land. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Joseph is clothed in royal garments and every knee must bow. Who does that sound like? Jesus. And did you notice Joseph was given a new name? Did you notice it? It's an Egyptian name. Take a look at verse 45. Uh, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Pania. Do you know what that is? That is Egyptian for God speaks and saves lives. Interesting. The Latin Vulgate translated this Salvador Mundi. Do you know what Salvador Mundi is in Latin? Savior of the world. Joseph was just given the name Savior of the world. Wow, how incredible. Uh, amazing to watch all of this happen. And a strange twist in a Hebrew story. What does Joseph take as a bride? Who does he take? Joseph takes a Gentile bride in the years of harvest. In the seven years of harvest, Joseph, the savior of the world, takes a Gentile bride. Sound familiar? How many of you are Gentiles? How many of you are the bride of Christ? Here you are in the seven years of plenty, the bride of Christ. Oh my goodness. Uh, this is God's sovereignty on display. This is the church age, the seven years of prosperity. After the church age is coming what? Seven years of tribulation. And we've got an exciting story to go into next week. Oh my gosh, an exciting story. Uh, I, I, 
Let me give you a little sneak peek. Take a look at verse 51. <laughs> Joseph has children. We'll look at this next week. Joseph has children with this Gentile bride. Look at the names. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn. Everybody say it. Manasseh. And here's what that means. God has made me forget all the toil in my father's house. And he had a name of a second child. And he called him Ephraim. And Ephraim means for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. In other words, uh, this Savior takes a Gentile bride and his children are, God has made me forget all of my sin. And God has made me incredibly fruitful in this world. Amazing. Uh, not hard to see. All of that is a picture. These are the children of the uh, seven years of plenty of the harvest age, which is the church age. This is a picture of you. And when God looks at you, his child, he forgets all of your sins. And when God looks at you, you are blessed with all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Ephraim really means uh, double fruitful. Uh, uh, Ephraph is fruit. Uh, Ephraim is uh, fruit plural or multiple fruits, uh, just abundantly blessed with fruit. That's a picture of who? You, the child of the Savior of the world, the son and daughter of children of the world. Uh, so uh, our list is growing of Jesus being this prophetic, prophetic prefigure. Uh, we now have 16 things. Let's go over them together and we'll wrap up with this. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up. And I'm going to ask the children's ministry to please forgive me. Uh, uh, verse 1, uh, excuse me, number 1, Joseph, a prophetic prefigure of King Jesus. The father sends his beloved son to the tribes of Israel on a mission of love. Uh, the father did that for Joseph, and God the father did that with who? Jesus. That's a picture of Joseph. That's a picture of Jesus. Uh, number two, he was rejected because of his testimony to his own brethren, the tribes of Israel. That's a picture of Joseph. That's a picture of who? Jesus. Number three, his tunic was taken by his captors. That's a picture of Joseph. That's a picture of who? Jesus. Number four, he was beaten and left for dead. That's a picture of Joseph. That's a picture of Jesus. He was sold to the Gentiles for the price of a slave. A few pieces of silver happened to Joseph, happened to who? Jesus. He was falsely accused and arrested. Joseph, it happened to him by Potiphar. Jesus, it happened to him by the religious leaders. Picture of Joseph, picture of Jesus. He went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. Uh, we looked at that in depth last week. If you missed that, go back and listen to that talk. Profound truths in the Bible. Happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. To one prisoner, it was a message of salvation. To another prisoner, it was a message of judgment. It also happened on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. To one of the thieves, to the other thief, he went to hell and, and, and got judgment. Uh, uh, preached to the spirits in prison. Uh, number eight, he is the savior of the world. Joseph saving the world from famine. Jesus, the greater savior, saving the world from sin and death. Uh, he began his public ministry at 30 years of age. Happened to Joseph? Happened to Jesus. Uh, an alleged criminal, instantly raised to power and seated at the right hand. Happened to Joseph? Happened to Jesus. Jesus went from the cross to the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, 
He is given a name that means God speaks and saves lives. Jesus' name, by the way, Jesus in Greek, Yahshua in Hebrew. Yahshua is Jehovah is salvation. God saves. Uh, Salvador Mundi, uh, both the same name, right? Given a name uh, that God speaks and saves lives. Every knee must bow. Happened to Joseph? Uh, it's forecoming for Jesus. Espoused to a Gentile bride. Remarkable. Happened to Joseph? Happened to Jesus? His children are called. God has made me forget all of our sin. And God has caused me to be fruitful. Uh, happened to Joseph. Happened to Jesus. Welcome you who are forgiven of all sin. And welcome you who have God's abounding fruit that he wants to pour into your life. Just amazing. Uh, he is the Lord of the present harvest age, the years of plenty, the church age, if you will. And he is also Lord of the coming seven-year famine tribulation. Uh, amazing. Amazing. You look at all of these prophecies fulfilled by Joseph without him ever knowing any of this was going on. It required tremendous hardships to make all these things happen. But look at all of it. His life is glorifying who? Jesus. You think that's a coincidence? Not a chance. We've covered 16. There's a lot more to come. Wait till you see next week. And the ramification is staggering. It means that God is sovereign over every affair in our life. It means that God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It is his goal for your life, for my life, and it is his work right now. And the question remains, Will you allow him to do his work in your life? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.